Um, We've just sung, haven't we? Your majesty, I can but bow. I lay my all before you now. What a wonderful thing to sing. I, I love to sing that. Trouble is, I'm not very good at doing it. I lay my all before you now. That's the thing, isn't it? The reformer John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. The human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. What did he mean by that? He he meant that we make other things in our hearts to love and to worship, to trust instead of God. Where God should be my number one, I have other things above it. I make other things to love and trust. Whether it's my career, I I get this sense that I want fulfillment. And so I say, my career or my, my volunteering or my work, that will give me fulfillment. Well, it can't. It's just a career. It's not meant to give you, you can enjoy it and you can get a sense of, not ultimate fulfillment. That's made up. See, we make up idols. We, we tell ourselves, I long for self-worth. And we think that that'll only come by our appearance. Well, that's not true. People don't just love you because of the way you look. God will not love you more by the way you look. You see, we make up things to love and to worship. We tell ourselves relational intimacy is found by the number of likes on social media. It's... And so social media gets higher than God on our list of trusts. We make up things to live for and to worship and to love other than God. Now, I think probably most of us can see that and get that. Hopefully that the Bible says that's a problem. We, we can believe that. But the trouble is often we go, so what? I can see that it's a problem, but should I really take it seriously? So I can see that career could be an idol, but if I live for career, well, it doesn't really seem like a problem. And if I focus so much on having a nice appearance, well, it doesn't seem to be dangerous, does it? And social media might be addictive. It's not that bad, is it? You see, we we can see idolatry, false religion, false trust in our hearts, but we struggle to take it seriously. We find ourselves going, I trust God, and I trust this other stuff. But, but, does it matter? Well, here we are then in the book of 1 Kings in the Bible. It's a book that details the spiritual decline of a nation. The the book starts in the glory days of Solomon. Everything is healthy and good. And by the end of the book, the nation is in decline. It's a book about spiritual decline. Solomon and his son Rehoboam have already become like Pharaoh. They're cruel dictators. It's all gone horrible. Horribly wrong. And some of the kingdom has been given to a guy called Jeroboam. And so we think, oh, maybe stuff will be better with him. God has even made him some promises that the north will flourish under Jeroboam if Jeroboam trusts God. And Jeroboam had been like a Moses-type figure. He'd rescued half the kingdom from Rehoboam. It was horrible. Oh, this, this, surely this can be good. Only what happens moments later in chapter 12, Jeroboam starts making idols to worship. And so for you or I, if, we're, if we can see idolatry, but struggle to take it seriously, well, here we're going to see Jeroboam's idolatry and the consequences it brings. And we'll see how God responds to it. So walk with me this morning. I've got seven, yes, seven, we'll go quickly. <laughs> seven problems with our homemade religion. 
our false trusts, our false religions. Seven problems that we see in this passage. The first one is there, it's in chapter 12, verse 26, is that our false trusts, our made-up religion, it, it represents mistrust of God. It's mistrust. So here's this guy, Jeroboam. He's a king, and he's been given the northern kingdom. And he starts building some defenses. That kind of makes sense. You're a new country. You want to kind of shore it up. I, I get that. But look what happens in verse 26, because he gets to thinking. Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Jeroboam has got the big country. He's got the ten tribes. He's got the north. But the religious center is still in the south. And so he's worrying. If everyone goes south to Jerusalem to worship... They're going to think it's not so bad. They're going to think, well, maybe we'll go back down south again. He feels so insecure. And it's, the problem with this is that it's, it's not actually true. God promised Jeroboam back in 11, chapter 11, verse 38, God promised him that if he trusted God, that if he lived for him, his, this new northern kingdom would be secure. He had nothing to worry about. But this guy, Jeroboam, he listens to the self-talk They'll go down there and they won't like me anymore. He listens to the self-talk and not God's talk. Jeroboam wants something more secure than God's word. God's word alone won't be sufficient for him to be confident about his future. So he takes counsel and he makes another religion. See, here's the thing here we see. That when you don't feel like you can trust God as your number one in the driving seat, well, what will we do? If we don't think we can trust God's word, where will we place our trust? We'll place our trust in something else and we'll make up something else to trust. If we don't trust God's word, then we will trust in religion, fake religion, false religion, the idols of our heart. So if we think God can't be trusted to give us satisfaction, then we might place all our trust in online dating, for example. And that might be our big thing, number one in our lives. We might think God can't be trusted to give us comfort or to know whether we should or shouldn't have comfort or not. And so, well, we won't listen to him and we'll place that longing elsewhere. You see, if we won't trust who God is, who he means to be, well, the only alternative will be some sort of false religion. See, here's the problem. He listens to the self-talk and he makes his false religion up. It's mistrust of God. That's the problem with fake religion. Second thing, should be obvious, but let's see it. Second problem with what Jeroboam does here and what we do in our hearts so often is that it's just make-believe. So look at chapter 12, verse 25 to 33, and just notice all the doing words here, the verbs, the doing words. Just scan through who's doing all the stuff. The king took counsel. He made calves of gold. He spoke to the people. He set up the calves in Dan and Bethel. Verse 31, he made temples. He appointed priests. Verse 32, he appointed feast dates. He went up to the altar. And all this was, look at verse 33, as he had devised from his own heart. <laughs> Do you see the point? Jeroboam had concocted and invented his own religion, his own thing to trust and to live for. It was a complete fairy tale. Complete nonsense. 
Now, the trouble is that when we watch the news, uh, there's been a documentary on the BBC recently about a, a strange cult. And um, in the UK, actually. But you'll have seen those in all sorts of settings. The trouble is that when we watch those things, we think, we sort of look down our noses, don't we? <laughs> I'd never fall for that silly cult that those people are believing in. It's clearly nonsense. We feel sorry for the people who get caught up in it all, but we think we're a cut above it all. Oh, we see it for what it is. Because let's, let, let's say I invented a religion. Let's say I invented Ollieism, okay? And Ollieism means that every Tuesday and Thursday you come and sing songs to Ollie. And Fridays is a special day. You come to my altar, my statue, and you give me Amazon gift vouchers. That happens on Fridays, every Friday. Now, you would all go that stupid. That is total make-believe. That is, that is nonsense. But here's what we do so often. We say, oh, I'm struggling to trust God, so, so I like to think instead that God's like this. Or, or, or I like to do this because I find I can't. Do you see? We have made something up. It is make-believe. You say, I feel miserable, so I'm going to trust in food. So you sit down and you eat three Mars bars. Do Mars bars equal, equal feeling not miserable? No, they don't. It is, food is not meant to make you not feel miserable. Right? It's to give energy. <laughs> you see, we make up stuff to believe, don't we? What are we doing when we're not trusting God as our number one, as our ultimate? We trust other make-believe stuff. John Calvin was right, wasn't he? The human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. And the trouble is, if we saw a friend falling in with a cult, we would warn them, wouldn't we? Don't go to that strange meeting in the car park. Don't go with those people with that weird... Don't do It's make-believe. Don't do it. And yet inwardly, we do it all the time, don't we? Do we call ourselves out of these false trusts, these false beliefs? Do we do it? We confess them to one another, get help, get out of it. Because it's make-believe. It's mistrust of God, it's make-believe. Third, it's a reversal. I want you to look at chapter 12 and verse 28, if you, if you would. Jeroboam's got this new uh, religion, and at its heart there are two golden calves. And he creates them, he presents them to the people in verse 28. And what does he say? You've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It is a tragic moment. The people who were rescued from slavery in Egypt had come to know the true and living God. They'd been taken to the promised land. And back in the history of God's people, they'd been taken to Mount Sinai. And Moses was meeting with God and the people, all they had to do at the bottom of the mountain was wait for him. But instead they couldn't wait, so they made golden calves to worship instead of God. And so this, is, this isn't progress, what Jeroboam's doing. His new country with its new religion is not progress. It's regress. It's going back. It's going back to when they didn't know God to make up their own things. It's a disaster. It's, I think what's going on here, Jeroboam is thinking, I need to make up my own religion. So he picks Dan and Bethel. He says, those have got something to do with Abraham, so we'll use those as worship sites. And then he scratches his head and thinks, yeah, but what will we do there? What will I put there? He thinks, wasn't there that moment on Mount Sinai with some golden calves? He goes, that's something about, yeah, but we'll put some golden calves on there. And he's like, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? Imagine in a, uh, in a company, 
and they were saying, oh, we need new HR processes, and we need a more diverse workforce. Wasn't there that thing in the cotton plantations in the deep south? Well, they had a very diverse labor force and so on, right? That would be horrific. We would not do that, right? That's, ah, don't do it. You know, it's like someone wants to start a camp and says, wasn't there those gulag things? Weren't they good? We should just copy those. Do you see, this is a reversal to the horrors, the horrors of the past. It is dreadful. Jeroboam takes the nation back, back to the golden calves, and it's hideous. He takes them back to the wilderness. And you know, sometimes we say, I can't trust God's word. I can't trust who he is, and I need something more. And, and surely, I'm me- surely I'm meant to. Surely we're meant to progress beyond God's word. Just see Jeroboam, who is doing this new thing, saying that it's progress. It's, it's not progress. <laughs> it's making stuff up, and that is going backwards. We take ourselves back when we do this to the place of rebellion where we add to what God said. We make up our own God. It's, it's a backward move. It's a backward move. It is a disaster what is going on here with Jeroboam. So fourthly, look, I want us to see that homemade religion, it's mistrust, it's make-believe, it's reversal, but it's, awful. it's just awful, right? Come to chapter 13 with me. It's awful, Okay. Does homemade religion matter? Does it matter when we trust other stuff? Yes, it absolutely does, because God stands against it. God stands against it. Here's Jeroboam with his fantasy religion. And for that fantasy religion, God sends a fantastic character. Uh, You might notice that at the beginning of 13, there's this false religion going on. And out of the blue comes this guy. Look with me at 13 verse 1. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burnt on you. Wow. Pretty abrupt. It's pretty serious. A prophet turns up and declares this false religion is so awful that one day the people who propagate it are going to be brought to an end on their very own altars. This false religion is bringing death. And so it needs to be brought to death. The false religion, it really, really is awful. I think we need to see that here. It is awful, declares the Lord. So much so that God declares here that in 300 years' time, a prophet called Josiah is going to appear and bring it to an end, tidy it up, sort it all out. And if you doubt that, there's also an immediate fulfillment, isn't there? The Lord also says that the altar will be cracked and ashes poured out, and all of a sudden that happens. And then there's this strange incident, because Jeroboam then suddenly doesn't really like this. (laughs) Doesn't like these words of judgment against his religion. So Jeroboam then cries out, sees him. And it's like a moment from The Wizard of Oz with the tin man. His arm kind of seizes up and dries. I think it says dries up in the passage. Uh, Basically, his arm is paralyzed. The king's arm is paralyzed. What does this picture give us? It should make it clear to us that under no illusions, under no illusions, what's going on here, it it is just awful. The king tries to stop the judgment being declared, but God's word about this false religion cannot and must not be stopped. False trust, false religion, false beliefs, false trusts, they must be denounced. They must come to an end. You see, Jeroboam's reign is 
is like, it's like a parasite, if I can put it that way. In other words, it took from the true religion, didn't it? The true worship of God. And it twisted it and it made something else. It took what was good and it sucked the blood and the life out of it to make something else. Like a parasite. And this is actually the truth about all of our false trusts. It's the truth about evil. It's, para- it's a parasite on what's good. It's a parasite on God. And so God announces it needs to be dealt with. Really, quite directly, quite seriously. Um, some of you have dogs and some of you have cats. I, th- I don't know whether actually anyone here does have a cat, actually. I used to have a cat. Um, some of you keep pets, anyway. And you'll know that sometimes they bring home parasites. Please. Wonderful. And you'll give them the frontline treatment or whatever it is they sell. And if that doesn't work, obviously things have to get more serious. And you'll have to use lethal fumigation of your home to just get rid of them all. You have to drastically remove every trace of the parasite. Well, look, that is what the Lord says needs to happen to this false trust. It's a parasite. You need to get rid of it. It is that awful. And the Lord will get rid of it. Now, each of us are different this day. And I don't know what false trusts... There are in your heart. I don't know what idols you love. I don't know what you trust instead of God. But chances are, you, like me, tell yourself it's only a small thing. Well, it's only a small thing. It doesn't matter, really. The trouble is, it isn't a a small thing. It isn't a small thing. Excuse me. That's God saying it's not a small thing, in a way. I'm just going to throw this in here. Hopefully someone will throw that in a bin. Uh, thank you, Rob. Um, it's, not a small, it's not a small thing. Jesus, God has to direct, uh, deal with this dramatically, like you would an infestation. In other words, false religion, false trust, it really is awful. And God promises and prophesies that it will be removed. That's the fourth thing. The fifth issue with our false trusts, I think we see here, are that they contaminate. They contaminate that. And we see that in chapter 13 and verses 6 and onwards. They contaminate. Of course, that would make sense if, if false religion really is like a, like a parasite. God has announced drastic action to come, hasn't he? And the king's arm is frozen mid-gesture. And I think this must have been quite some come down, right? One minute the king is saying, seize him. Don't let him say that bad stuff about the temple, about the, the altar. One minute he's saying, seize him. And the next moment he's like, oh, um, actually, you wouldn't mind healing my arm for me, please. please. What, a come, what a come down for, for, uh, for the king. And what a thing, too, that the man of God prays for King Jeroboam, and he is actually healed. You see, here is this invented homemade religion, and it is absolutely terrible, but it doesn't mean that things can't change. It doesn't mean that there won't be second chances for Jeroboam if he'll repent. You see, God would give him a new arm, and he could have the kingdom back if only he would repent. One altar has been destroyed in Bethel. Well, How about, Jeroboam, you go and destroy the other altar in Dan? And how about you fire the priests? And how about you clean up and turn this thing around? How about you do that? Confess your error. Because there can be a second chance. 
But Jeroboam doesn't do that. What happens seems to feel more like manipulation than repentance. He wants to have the man of God over for dinner. Look at 13 verse 8. The man of God said to the king, even if you give me half your house, half your kingdom, I will not go in with you. I will not eat bread or drink water in this place, for so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. It turns out God had said to this man of God, you need to, basically, you need to get into Bethel, you need to announce the judgment, and then you need to get straight out of there. Because this fake religion is dangerous. It's, it's like it's contaminating everything it touches, so don't stay there long enough to eat a meal. Just get the heck out of there, right? He must leave. It's worth noticing the seriousness of this problem, isn't it? It's worth noticing that when we trust false things... It's not an isolated thing, is it? This prophet is told very clearly, this isn't just about that altar. There's more at stake here. You need to get out of here. We tend to think that when we trust false things, oh, it won't hurt anyone. It won't harm anyone. It doesn't really matter, does it? But this passage seems to say that all of Bethel was a mess because of this idolatry. And that man of God needed to get out of there. Our idols don't just affect us. Our false trust don't just affect us. I was trying to think of an example of this. Um, there's lots of books in shop, life coaching books in shops today. I don't know whether you've seen those in W.H. Smith and so on. Imagine you bought one of these books and you really went for it. What would you be trusting? You'd be trusting life coaching words and not God's words. And, and what if the life coach's word says, um, you need to focus on your ambition and your dreams, and you need to have around you people that support your ambition? Sounds good, sounds harmless. Only trouble is, if you start living that way, you will ignore anyone who doesn't support you. It will destroy your friendships, it will destroy uh, those in your community and your neighbours, and it will destroy your heart, and it will destroy your love of God. You see, idols are never just about us. Our misplaced trusts affect our hearts and affect our hearts' attitudes to others too. False religion is contaminating, I suppose. It's not isolated. Perhaps, perhaps you're noticing that in your life this morning. Are you? Our false trusts really matter. They really are a problem. And if we didn't believe that, number six from our passage, all that God has said is confirmed. When God says something and then confirms it, you really want to believe it, don't you? And here we see God's word confirmed. Confirmed that this is awful. Confirmed that this false religion needs to be done away with. Now, this is where things get a bit strange. So let's see if we can make sense of it. Um, it was a strange day by the altar in Bethel that day. And some lads have seen what's happened with the, the king's arm being frozen and the prophetic denouncements and so on. And they come home and they tell their old dad, this old prophet in Bethel. And the old man thinks, is it really true? The king's arm froze and there were words of judgment. And well, I better find out. If this, do you know where this man of God has gone? And the lads say, yeah, he's down the road under a, an oak tree. So off goes this old prophet from Bethel. And, um, and he tries to get him to come over for dinner. And the man of God says it again, says, I'm not allowed to eat. I shouldn't be here. I'm not allowed to eat with you. I'll be going home. But 
But look at the trouble. You see, Jeroboam is a complete fraudster, and it turns out now all the prophets in the land are too. Because look what happens. Look at verse 18 of, of chapter 13 and find it. The old prophet speaks to the man of God and says, I, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. Oh, dear. Bethel really is in trouble, isn't it? The land is full of liars. And the big sadness here is that this man of God who'd done such a great work in Bethel and had stood up against the king, I won't eat with you, not if you give me half the kingdom, believes this lying prophet. What a tragedy. Maybe this morning you feel a sense of conviction about a false trust. Maybe it's your sense of ambition. Maybe it's your desire to fit in or to say the right thing. And you're thinking about it, you're thinking, yeah, but is it bad? Isn't it bad? I don't know. And then you get to thinking, but didn't I read about this in some Christian book? Wasn't it a Christian book that told me to be really ambitious? Well, let me tell you that not every prophet is a prophet. And not every book published by a supposed Christian publishing house contains entirely Christian ideas. And not every minister of the Lord is, in fact, a minister of the word of God. And this man of God got into trouble, didn't he? Because he he thought he's a prophet, so I'll believe him. Friends, we must never believe things that are contrary to the word of God. And that is what our false religions and our false trust do to us, don't you? You can find trust here. You need something more than God's. You can find trust here. You can find fulfillment here, satisfaction here. But what the Bible teaches, find it in, in God, our all in all. And so suddenly the roles are reversed, and this lying prophet becomes a true prophet. He, he says to this man of God, you, you've disobeyed. Actually, he was tricked, but in the end he had disobeyed. <laughs> and because of that, he would die and not make it back to his own family cemetery. Didn't matter he was tricked, didn't matter that he was by prophet, he believed something contrary to the word of God. And it really was serious that he stayed away from Bethel. And so this man of God leaves, but God sends a lion to strike him down. We'll see lions do that again, by the way. Stick around in one king's long enough. We're going to see that happen again. And you've got this strange, strange scene where you've got the dead man of God and the lion and the donkey that carried him just stood there, sentry. But what does this do? All of this serves as confirmation, doesn't it? You see, God had promised he was going to wipe out the false religion. He was, going to, he was going to have a cleanup act with Josiah in 300 years' time. He said the altar would be broken. He said the man of God should not eat food in Bethel. And now he has, and look what's happened. Do you see? The word of God is confirmed. He does stand against false religion. The man of God shouldn't eat in Bethel, and now he does, and look what happened. If you didn't believe it already, you should believe it now, shouldn't you? This old prophet collects the man of God's body from the lion, and I suppose the lion then gets to go home. And the body's put on the donkey, and it's carried home to the the lying prophet's home. And look at 13 verse 31. This old old lying prophet says, And after he'd buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones, for the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. It's confirmed. 
The word of the Lord is confirmed. God will bring judgment on the false religions. God stands against it. And this judgment will come through, sadly, because Jeroboam here has been given a second chance, hasn't he? And you'd think when he hears about what happened to the prophet, uh, the, the man of God, you'd think that when he hears about the lion and the donkey and how he did eat, did you hear that man who visited you and he wouldn't eat with you? He ate with the prophet and now he's dead. You think you'd go, oh, oh, uh, oh, um, guys, let's, let's sort this out. You'd think he'd do that, right? But look at Jeroboam's reaction, verse 33. After this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places, again from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth. He doesn't repent of false religion, he multiplies it. He doubles down. It is serious indeed. Our false trusts represent mistrust, make-believe, reversal. It's awful. It's contaminating, and it is confirmed. Last thing, look. Jeroboam could have, could have repented, but he didn't. And so in the end, his false religion is doomed. It is doomed. False religion is, is doomed. Now, let's look at this last scene in chapter 14. I think it is both serious and funny. I think God sometimes uses humor to, um, to connect with us. Um, so follow, the, follow the, the sad scene that is quite funny as well. King Jeroboam's son is ill. And of course, in those days, if your child mortality is very, very high. So this is a worrying scene. And Jeroboam thinks, well, I want to know what's going to happen. Is my son going to live or is he going to die? And so he thinks, oh, don't I know a prophet I could ask about this? Oh, yeah, there was that guy, Ahijah, who made me king, gave me the, the bits of the garment. I'll go and ask him. Only Jeroboam realizes Ahijah said something else, too. Said, be faithful to God. And he hadn't, so he's like, oh, it's a bit embarrassing. I can't really go to him, can I? I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll send my wife instead. I don't think he knows that. But just in case he does know my wife, I'll send her in disguise. What a good idea. Um, he sends her in disguise. So um, she agrees to do it, and we're told she heads off to Shiloh to see Ahijah. Um, one wonders how long she spent putting on her disguise. Fake glasses, a wig, lots of foundation. Uh, we don't know, but she didn't want to be recognized. So presumably she took her time over it. But it turns out it was all pointless, because look at 14 verse 4. Ahijah had gone blind in his old age. Ahijah couldn't see it didn't matter that Jeroboam's wife was wearing a disguise because he couldn't see anyway. It didn't matter at all. And then I think we're supposed to chuckle some more because, of course, Ahijah is a prophet of the true and living God. He sees not by his eyes, but by the word of the Lord. And God had told him he was coming to see him. So the wife turns up, puts her feet on the threshold, and Ahijah says, 14 verse 6, Oh, is that you, Jeroboam's wife? I've been expecting you. Come in, come in. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Come in, for I have unbearable news for you. All this deceit, all this deceit, and there is unbearable news. First, God says the male line of Jeroboam is going to be wiped out. The male line of Jeroboam is going to go because of this. He hasn't been, he had the promise of God to have a kingdom. And now it's going to be wiped out. Secondly, he says the son will die. 
And that's a good thing here because this son is saved from this false religion. He's, he's saved from all of that and he's saved from the awful end that his brothers will have. And third, Elijah, uh, Ahijah sorry, says all this means that the Lord will root Israel out like a reed from a waterbed and chuck it on the ground. It's a picture of the fact that God is now going to um, take Israel, pull them up and send them to another place. He's going to send them back to Egypt, basically. It's a prophecy of the exile. They're going to lose the promised land. They're going back to Egypt in all but name. And if we didn't believe these, these prophecies, the wife returns home and the child does succumb to the disease in the mercy of God. It all happened according to the word of the Lord. So do you see these false religions, these false trusts, they are very serious. It meant that all that God had achieved, he would put into reverse. A firstborn son dies like a firstborn son had died in the Exodus, do you remember? And the lamb had died and they were set free. But now the firstborn dies and it's not rescue, it's the end. The future of the country isn't secure, but its end has been ensured, its demise. The promised land, the crossing of the Red Sea, the dramatic Exodus, all undone. Here then is what we're to see lastly about our false trusts. They don't mean life. They don't mean freedom. What they actually mean is a return to slavery, and they mean doom. That's what they mean. Jeroboam's religion could not give people access to the one true God. It was a fantasy. And so it was a slavery. And God said, I'm going to put it to an end. Friend, God says to us today, I have set you free. To live for me. And this false religion that you go after is a return to slavery. And its future is doomed. The love of anything else above God than the God of all perfection and love, it is slavery. And God means for us to have a life with him so much so that he would put multiple prophecies in our passage that shows that he stands against false trust, against false religion. We're to take the idols of our hearts seriously. Because they don't bring life. They do not bring life. Friends, in our, in our passage today, we've seen our false trusts, our mistrust of God. They are make-believe. They represent a reversal. They're awful. They affect all sorts of things. They need removing. God confirms it, and in the end, they're doomed. This word of the Lord here, it comes through again and again, doesn't it? Through immediate fulfillment and future promise, false religion must be removed. As we end then, let me ask you, what false trust in your heart needs to be removed? What false trusts in your heart need to be removed? I would encourage you to take some time and pray over that this week. We'll spend some time thinking about this in our growth groups. That might be a good place to talk about this some more as well. Sit with a friend and pray it through. Maybe you've never seen before how serious it is to have other loves, other trusts. (laughs) I pray that the seriousness of it will have come home for us today. Because in the end, the beginning of Jeroboam's rule it seals his end, doesn't it? As his, as his son dies, it confirms the end of his kingdom. And so it is with all homemade religion. It begins with lies, 
and it ends in destruction. Its destructive beginning is the beginning of the destructive end. And such is the way of things. Such is the way of things apart from friends with Jesus. At the end of this passage, a son dies and it proclaims an end. But in the Bible, that isn't the only son that dies. Another son dies. And it doesn't proclaim an end. It proclaims a beginning. The death of Jesus didn't confirm the end of his reign. It was the beginning of his resurrection reign. You see, trust in Jesus is the beginning of a great liberation. Trust in Jesus and the guilt for the past, for all those false loves and those false trusts, the guilt is gone and sin is forgiven. We can be renewed in Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit. This good news of the gospel is so contrary to everything else. The end of Jesus at the cross reverses our beginning. Tears are washed away, the curse of sin removed, and those spiritually dead and be raised. This passage feels like so much warning, so much condemnation. But Jesus is the reverse of all of it. We can know that though we have been idolatrous, though we have trusted false things, there is life in the name of Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who trust in Christ. Homemade religion is awful. It seals its own ending. Trust in Jesus. It's wonderful and secures not an ending, but a beginning. Idols are serious, but they can be put behind us. They can be cast over our backs and left behind. Pray that they would. Let's put them where they belong, eh? Should we pray? Loving Father, thank you for um, challenging us, convicting us of our false trusts. Thank you for, as hard as it's been to hear and see, thank you for showing us that the awfulness of Jeroboam's reign. Thank you for exposing us to this spiritual decline that we might be warned and that we might be encouraged to put our trust in Jesus. Might we turn to him? Might he be our all in all? Might we root out these false trusts by the power of your spirit and rest in King Jesus? For we ask it in his name. Amen.